Hospitals have been bracing for healthcare professional shortages for many years now, but those shortages were accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic, leaving hospitals to contract with staffing agencies at a drastically higher cost with no end in sight. So how do rural hospitals work in tandem with higher education and workforce development initiatives to raise up the next generation of healthcare professionals? With strong relationships, collaborative efforts, and creating a desirable Workplace. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm JJ Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to episode 103, 103, Rachel. This is incredible. Of Rural Health Rising, I'm JJ Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Chief Communications Officer. Rachel, our guest today is someone who works in higher education. Uh, focusing on the workforce development and even specifically in a little niche of uh, healthcare. Um, and, you know, there is a great intersection that happens here uh, as we as healthcare executives are always looking for healthcare uh, workers right now. And it doesn't matter at what level they come in, Rachel. Mm-hmm. We're talking about whether they get the four year degree in, you know, nursing or they want to be in engineering and they work in environmental services, whatever it is. Uh, there is such a need right now across this country uh, for healthcare that we have paired up with a lot of higher institutions uh, to have some dialogue about how can we raise up the next generation of workers. Mm-hmm. And today we're talking with someone who is working with one of our, uh, a, a university that's local to Very, us yeah. here in our area to support its efforts to educate that next generation. Our guest today is Jeffrey Roche, Senior Vice President of National Healthcare Practice and Workforce for Siena Heights University. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Jeffrey. Thank you for having me. So to start, Jeffrey, why don't you give our listeners uh, an introduction of who you are, your background, and your work at Siena Heights? Sure. Well, again, thanks for having me, and obviously thanks to both of you for, for your leadership and your critical work uh, in all things healthcare. Um, I actually started my career in hospital administration in a rural uh, community healthcare system in, in rural Pennsylvania. Oh. Um, served there for a decade. Uh, it was actually uh, during that time uh, where I actually also did a National Rural Health Association fellowship, um, and I actually, you know, studied portions of Michigan and South Dakota and other states, particularly around the unique challenges that rural healthcare faces, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, obviously, uh, spent a decade in that in that position uh, where I led all of our public affairs, business development, strategic planning for our CEO, um, and actually came into academia really because while I was in my hospital system, we were doing a lot of innovative academic partnership work, and I saw the need to really bring industry into higher ed to really help mm-hmm. higher ed understand how to better work with 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 industry. You know, so now that we've established who you are and what you do, and it's it's quite interesting. I mean, you come out of being one of the suits uh, in admin, as they are, as they're called, and now you're in higher education, which is a noble cause, uh, preparing those students for us to receive here for hopefully a lifetime. Um, but you know, we we want to ask you a question, and that is, what is your why? We do this on every episode, so we get to know our guests just a little bit better. So I want to know, and our listeners want to know, what motivates you? Uh, yeah. What is your why? What gets you up out of bed in the morning to do the things that you do each and every day? Yeah. You know, so it's really interesting uh, when I tell people what my why is. Uh, first and foremost, I'm the son of a nurse. And so my entire upbringing was seeing what my mother did as a labor and delivery nurse. Mm-hmm. And um, for me to have the privilege to come into hospital administration and then now be in the be involved in the work to support the future workforce of healthcare 
It really is to help transform the healthcare workforce um, because I've seen it as the son of a nurse and I've seen it uh, mm-hmm. also, you know, as a healthcare leader that we have a lot of work to do if we're going to really have the right workforce uh, for the needs of our, patient, of our, of our patients. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so you're looking at um, workforce in general as it relates to healthcare uh, each and every day. And, you know, your title is impressive. Um, kind of like to know, what does it mean? You know, what, what are you doing on that day-to-day basis? Um, and I guess let's start with this. Historically, um, what has been the relationship between higher education, workforce, and healthcare? Seems like it's gaining a lot of attention right now, especially during the height of the pandemic. How do we recruit nurses? How do we recruit people? We weren't having those conversations before. The healthcare industry wasn't. We were, and I'll explain that in a minute, but the industry wasn't. So I, I guess, you know, you're looking at this each and every day uh, on a regular basis. Why don't you take us through that journey? Yeah. So, you know, my work is really, you know, multifaceted, one of which is, you know, working closely uh, as part of a, of a university like Siena Heights University and looking at, you know, what Siena Heights University offers in the nursing area, um, but then also really looking at how do we support um, the, the development and creation of non-credit workforce development programs that then become critical pathways into, uh, into nursing, into respiratory therapy, into various allied health roles. But it's also working across the nation. Um, and to your point, um, you know, in fact, right now I'm here at Hims, uh, where I've you know been a speaker oh. uh, speaking about the workforce needs and challenges. Um, you know, I spoke at Becker's, for example, on workforce. And so I also engage at a thought leadership uh, realm around some of these issues, particularly on around, you know, again, how do we bring academia and healthcare closer together? So having served in both industries, I will tell you, as you both probably know, both industries actually have more similarities than differences. But mm-hmm. part, of those, part of those similarities actually don't always bring the two closer together yeah. in the ways that they should. And so uh, for me, it has really been how do you bring them together? They should be connected in, in every possible way at the hip. Because uh, as I say, you can't have EDS without meds and you can't have mm-hmm. meds without EDS. And yeah. so you got to really bring the two together in a really strong partnership to truly solve the workforce challenges. So what, um, before the pandemic, let's say, let's start there, how much of that, how tight was that relationship between higher education and healthcare? Mm-hmm. You know, I think, um, you know, there are always healthcare systems that have been very, very close with their academic partners, particularly community colleges. I mean, if you look historically, mm-hmm. community colleges, um, particularly nursing programs, you know, if you have a nursing program, if you have a community college partner, those have always been pretty close. Mm-hmm. I think where where we're seeing some levels post pandemic, to your point though, mm-hmm. is we're starting to have more dialogue around pathways. Mm-hmm. Um, because even if you have a nursing program, that's not going to solve the challenges that we have today. Because we don't have enough nurses in nursing programs to support the nurses Correct. that we need. Right. That's right. So right. we really have to be thinking more about K through twelve. We've got to be thinking about apprenticeships. We have to be thinking about a myriad of ways to really create that future workforce. And that's really where the opportunity is, I think, today and well into the future for both higher ed and healthcare. Not just getting people from higher ed into healthcare, but getting them into higher ed in the first place for mm-hmm. those healthcare professions. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and I would add, um, part of it is also for so long, you know, even universities have just been entirely focused on enrollment. And, and it makes yeah. sense mm-hmm. because that's, you know, a lot of what their work is. But we've got to get back to this idea that we're a solution provider in higher education. 
And we, mm-hmm. and as part of being a solution provider, that means working, you know, hand in glove with a healthcare system to actually do strategic workforce development planning uh, mm-hmm. and really understand what are your needs today? What are your needs tomorrow? And what are your needs five to 10 to, 10, you know, 15 years out? That's not often happening between higher ed and healthcare. And it's definitely something we need to be thinking about. So, so would you say, Jeffrey, that uh, Sienna Heights is engaged in that discussion right now? Are you working hand in glove? Is it, and talk to us a little bit about what that looks like. You know, that's a local university, but it's it's well known in the state and uh, across the nation. So, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, you know, certainly under under uh, Sister Peg's leadership, obviously for quite some time, Sienna Heights has been doing a lot of work, as you know, in the nursing area um, and and another of other critical healthcare areas. But but really. You know, the decision that, that Siena Heights University made last fall was to really invest more significantly in the workforce development space in the healthcare arena. Um, and that really was to look at the development of asynchronous programs that you could reach a student regardless of where they live, help them grow into a career in allied health with the idea that they would have a stackable credential to come back into Siena Heights University or another university and actually have credit that they earn as part of that non-credit program into credit, what we call in higher ed credit for prior learning. This is a really critical initiative because if you do that type of work, you can get someone through a bachelor's degree much more quickly than the Mm -hmm. normal process, um, and you can really create that pathway. And so that's what Siena Heights University is working on across the state of Michigan, uh, even into Ohio and a little bit into Indiana. So Jeffrey, your so let me your audience specifically for you in your job, it's not the high school student, right? I mean that's not that's not what you're doing, but you're empowering those organizations to reach out, right? Is that the relationship? How I understand it? Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. I mean, because if we if we also want to be honest, um, you may have seen both of you may have seen recently. There's been some articles that specifically have said high school students are choosing not to go to college. That and is so, true. You know, at a staggering statistics, when you read those articles, yeah. if we're not thoughtful around that, we're going to miss a lot of the re- workforce we need in health. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's so right. we are engaging K through 12, um, but certainly we would prefer to engage K through 12 with a health system because we yes. want to be mindful of how do you create again that pathway? Yeah. We, you know, I, while I've worked as an administrator, I'm not clinical. So if I can bring a clinical person in to talk with a student, you know what the difference that can make. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So what are the biggest challenges you're facing from where you sit in your seat uh, when it comes to supporting the growth of these healthcare careers, especially knowing um, what we're facing right now with these significant shortages in many health professions? We're not just talking nursing. I, I know right now it's heightened. Oh, the nurses, nurses. Right. I got respiratory therapist problems. I've got med techs. I've got Radiology, environmental services. Lab. You name it. It's everywhere, Rachel. CNAs, certified nursing assistants. Right. I had to shut down 10 beds of my skilled nursing facility for months because I did not have enough skilled nursing assistants. Um, so nursing assistants, right? Cena's a, a, a three-week course, uh, did not have enough of those and because the interest wasn't there. So from where you're seated right now, you've been in hospital administration, now you're in higher education, you're trying to bring these two together. Um, how, how do we... What do you, what do you see uh, in in the facing the shortage right now? Yeah, so I think what you know, there's definitely there's definitely some things that I think over time have to evolve further, even in human resources. For example, you know, if you look at a lot of positions, um, you know, certainly when you get to clinical, you've got to have you know the right license, you yeah. know, the right license, etc. But there's still a lot of opportunities to really be thoughtful there 
and really create more stackable type programs so that if you're a high school student, um, you know, maybe you don't want to go on to a full college, but maybe you want to start in a role that you could could do. And that's really where an asynchronous option happens. Now, the challenge we have sometimes is some healthcare systems have not moved forward in recognizing how an online asynchronous program can be just as effective as mm-hmm. the in-person clinical program. Mm-hmm. And, and again, what's important there is even in the asynchronous programs, you're still going to have to do a clinical experience. But health systems get a little reticent because they're not going to touch a patient until later in the process. Mm-hmm. But what you have to think about there is the scalability. A community college doesn't have enough seats. They're never going to be able to meet the needs uh, in the same exact mm-hmm. way. So you've got to be more open to thinking about these new options. And I'll give an example. There was a just a recent report, and I'm not suggesting that this is going to replace you know nursing as we know it from a clinical experience level. But mm-hmm. you know the American Association uh, of uh, Journal on Nursing specifically cited how a to how VR and augmented reality is actually a very effective way to teach certain didactical elements of actually nursing. Mm. Um, Now, some people will be like, oh gosh, there's no way we could ever (laughs) adopt that. But the reality (laughs) of it is, is again, there are certain things you could teach with technology that aren't going to, is not going to replace the hands-on, but can be an additional benefit to the student. And Mm -hmm. so there's, there's work we have to do in that space. The second thing I would say is in healthcare, we've historically supported tuition reimbursement for degrees, but we have not done the same for certificate and certification programs at the same level. Mm-hmm. That's something we're going to have to really think about. In fact, if you look at some of the more recent data at a guild, guild data suggests that employers that do do that are finding a 1.5 to 2% increase of employees actually staying longer just because their employer invested in Interesting. them. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. You know, we do similar programs, Rachel, as you know, Mm -hmm. we engage in those programs uh, specifically. We're now taking CENAs, uh, we're taking citizens from the community and we're sponsoring their CENA. And mm-hmm. we're putting through the training. Then we're doing on-the-job training. We're right. also taking scrub techs now because we couldn't mm-hmm. locate scrub techs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're putting them through training programs that we've developed. Uh, the CENA is more structured through an academy, but our mm-hmm. our, our mm-hmm. scrub techs are really our program. And we're it's right. very successful. Right. We're, we're, we're now hiring people and putting them through training as opposed to putting them through training and then hiring yes. them. So the commitment right. on our end is from the beginning in terms of you have a guaranteed job and then we put them through that training and then yeah. they start their work. And so it, I think, I mean, it seems to me like that has been more successful for us as of late it than has. the other way around. And for 25 years, we have sponsored nurses every mm-hmm. year, mm-hmm. millions of dollars that we have spent, uh, 25 years, we started this program and then we create a second one, Opportunities for Offspring. And basically we take mm-hmm. students in junior high or high school and as we groom them for healthcare uh, in their senior year, they can apply for up Two at mm. the time it was up to a hundred percent, hundred thousand uh, dollar scholarship. Now it's fifty thousand dollars that we award um, to go and get their nursing degree. And now mm-hmm. we have transitioned that mm. uh, to really focus on any healthcare career That's that awesome. you want to enter into. So. We have been kind of growing our own uh, as a pathway, which is why I said I would explain that later. But uh, obviously, finding a good partner that's in a nursing program or, you know, a college. And we've, you know, our students go to Siena, students go to Spring Arbor, they go around this area. It has to be a Michigan-based college. But Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the dialogue and discussion that we have been having, Rachel, and the letters I send to the superintendents, the guidance counselors, has really, you know, created an awareness of the need for healthcare 
uh, especially during the pandemic when we had all those high school calls with the superintendents and principals right, right. about mm-hmm. this is quite a noble service that you can get into. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. so you know, to to your point, you know, if that was duplicated across the spectrum, I think you would end up with really reaching those students in that eighth and ninth grade environment, you know, like our allied health program for the high schools and really teaching them and, and letting them see hands-on the importance of service mm-hmm. industry like healthcare. Mm-hmm. What do you, you know, because another thing that we have seen in healthcare over the last 15 or 20 years is taking LPNs away from the bedside, yep. pushing BSNs versus ASNs, the bachelor in nursing, as opposed to an associate's in nursing. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like really that mindset is kind of having to shift again mm-hmm. because we're not getting enough people who are engaged in healthcare in these professions, nursing in particular, as well as all these other ones. But nursing is really the area where that push has happened for those higher levels of certification and care. Um, But so from your perspective, I mean, how are you trying to address some of those challenges and concerns of the healthcare systems or hospitals that are we going to have a less qualified? Because I think that's the fear, right, is mm-hmm. with the asynchronous programs and other things. How are you allaying those fears of we're afraid that if we go this route, we're going to have less qualified nurses? Because for the last 20 years, we've been telling ourselves that unless they have a BSN, they're not as they're not good. Or I mean, there are even hospitals and health systems that will only hire or at least had only hired BSNs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so what Siena Heights University has done in a couple different ways is one is as part of everything that we do in the non-credit healthcare workforce development area, we actually engage, you know, the faculty in nursing, we engage the faculty in healthcare so that they understand the full aspect of the curriculum. So that again, when we have the potential opportunity for credit for prior learning, they've already seen it. They're comfortable with it. We've also taken the extra step of actually having, you know, in that situation where let's say a health system is a little anxious about the idea that they're not going to, you know, have their hands on a patient until later in the process after Mm -hmm. they say you have earned their certification or right before they would stand for the national uh, level certification. We'll work with a healthcare system to your earlier point to actually create that pathway, get them into the Mm -hmm. workforce, uh, either get them hired uh, or get them brought in as a student earlier in the process. And we'll actually provide, you know, an additional level of of a preceptor who can help in that process as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, we want to be flexible, you know, in those ways, because to your point, we know, we know certain healthcare systems, you know, we also know preceptors and the clinical experiences are challenging too, uh, in healthcare Mm -hmm. too. And so we've got to be mindful there. The other point I would make is, um, I think, you know, to your point about LPNs, I mean, look, my my mother was a community college uh, RN grad and for for many years it was, oh, well, you got to go on and get your bachelor's. And my mother served over 30 years as a nurse, never went for her bachelor's, Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, she just never, that just was never in her deck of cards. But but what's, I think, important about, to your point, is we kind of go back in time. And now, again, we're bringing, we're hiring more and more LPNs. But here's the reality. Right. If we're thoughtful and really create this pathway and actually help people understand, you could go from a medical assistant to an LPN to an RN and create that pathway quicker, we mm-hmm. can create more nurses. Uh, right. The idea here is we've got to be more thoughtful around the higher ed side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really where higher ed has an enormous opportunity. Right, right. And we actually have done that in our oh, ER. We have an LPN to RN program in our ER that has been very successful. very successful. And it's and, you know, there were a lot of LPNs who essentially felt pushed out by their industry despite their experience yes. 
when these changes started happening. And so when we were looking at, you know, what are some of the ways that we can increase the number of nurses that we have and really help to fill and build our pipeline of talent, we kind of had the same thought, right, of let's take those LPNs who have experience, they have education, let them do what they are experienced and skilled to do while we help them get to that higher level. So it, it advances their career, but it also advances our own workforce. And let me tell you how hard that was, Rachel, <laughs> because my emails were rapid fire. How how can you do this? This is awful. Right, how can the it, level and of they're care not working and on their own. There's also an RN on the floor at the same time. I had to call a staff <laughs> meeting to address this issue about the why, mm-hmm. to build the mm-hmm. pipeline, you know, and to create a pathway and to establish, you know, having a preceptor program. I had to go through it all to explain why I'm hiring LPNs to work my ER. And then mm-hmm. I was told, no patient's ever going to come here. They're not, patients aren't asking you what your credentials are. Right. When they come right. in the emergency department, they have an emergent need. They're yeah. assuming they that you have the They don't know the, the difference between an LPN versus an They do an not. RN. It does not yep. happen. And so yep. changing some of that mentality, though, because I was in a very contentious argument on Friday with a CEO in Michigan who's an RN who told mm-hmm. me that I'm dumbing down the profession by doing this, by allowing... I think you're skilling up the profession. And I said wow. just exactly what I I said, no, I was told directly, you're dumbing it down. We need to reiterate the importance of, you know, bachelor prepared arts. I said, I understand that. But if you cannot achieve that, you have to start here. Right. This is an important pathway. And then the hospital can sponsor and pay for. But that is a huge debate. You are encouraging more people to become RNs because you're making that possible for them while continuing to have a job and have gainful employment while they are getting their education, which is part of what makes skilling up current employees or what what makes skilling up for people who already have some sort of certification or degree is that they can't pause their, they can't afford to pause their career for that. So the program we've created ensures that they don't have to. And they so, talk about it. I think you know, I know who you're talking absolutely. about. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, but I would say we're the opposite. We're skilling up yes, the workforce. I did. We are I not did. I argued that. And so, you know, obviously we have been able to transition some of the best employees that I've worked with through programs like this, mm-hmm. where we, you know, awesome. we took a, we took a, a registration clerk we put her through to get her, uh, you know, associate's degree. She became an LPN and RN. She had moved up the ranks within a few years. And by the time she left the organization, she was director of our home care program and DME wow. programs doing remarkable work. And now is at a senior level position in a major healthcare system. There are a tremendous amount of success stories mm-hmm. that we can mm-hmm. cite as a result of this. So I, I, I know it works. Right. You know, Jeffrey, I know it works. I know the pathways can be created. I know that the partnerships, though, must happen with your colleges in your respective areas uh, to be able to have that partnership and to form that partnership. I think it's very important. Right. And so from your perspective, what is the future of higher ed and workforce development look like when it comes to rural health care and rural hospitals in particular, because we have long struggled mm-hmm. to recruit our workforce more so than other larger hospitals in larger areas, um, because, I mean, just at the most basic level, your population is smaller. Um, but also, it's harder to get people to move to rural. You have the brain drain, so to speak, where, you know, people graduate high school and they leave and never come back kind of thing. Um, so for rural healthcare in particular, what is the future of this relationship between higher ed and healthcare look like in your from your perspective? 
Yeah. So, you know, the first thing I think is, is uh, there has to be a really strong, you know, again, back to that authenticity around the partnership. Um, we've got to be able to talk with students around what is unique about rural healthcare. And mm-hmm. one of the things I always tell uh, every individual I ever talk to, um, having served in both, so having served in an urban healthcare environment and uh, well, more, more of an urban, but, but uh, you know, happened to be the, the, unfortunately, the third, third largest ER in the, in the state and, and the, the number one ER for gunshot victims. So very large tertiary center to a more rural facility. And what I tell people all the time is there's a big difference between uh, a large healthcare system and a rural facility. And one of the differences is a rural facility is truly of the community. Uh, what you do mm-hmm. is anchor work. It is truly anchored in the institution. And so if you want to be a nurse or you want to be a medical assistant or you want to be uh, a future hospital CEO and you actually want to work and serve your community, be in touch with your community, have a board that's also from your community, then rural healthcare is for you. If you want to be in a large uh, healthcare system where you're probably not going to be uh, as known, you're not going to see the impact that you have each and every day as clearly, uh, you're not going to see your neighbors in the shopping center at church, you name it then maybe the larger one may be for you. And so um, I always say, you know, I wouldn't have traded starting in a rural facility for anything because what I learned was, A, you grow uh, as a professional a lot more quickly in a rural facility because you wear every hat possible. Um, Mm -hmm. And even clinically, you wear every hat possible. And uh, But there's so much that you grow and learn from there. And so I think higher ed has to Mm -hmm. also partner again with their rural healthcare systems to really, and I don't want to use the word sell, but educate the students on what it's like, because you know what, we don't do that really, really well, uh, no. particularly in healthcare, and we have to do it through our career centers. Yeah, you know, so um, we have always been challenged with recruiting physicians and specialty care to rural communities, uh, specifically Hillsdale. And I hear from my counterparts across the country, you know, we can't get them to rule. We can't get them to rule. Now, we often find that once we get them to rule, they're like, wow. This is like, this is cool. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're kind of, you're, you get to do you're a celebrity, but as a general surgeon, you are doing procedures that you would never do in yep. a big healthcare system. We've interviewed Dr. McCurry before on Facebook right. Live and other There's events. a lot more variety. There is. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, so they do, uh, as Dr. McCurry says, you know, from butts to guts uh, <laughs> and everything in between, he does it all. We love a and good rhyme in healthcare, we do, don't we? We do. <laughs> And he'll do, you know, he'll do, uh, you know, surgeries uh, one day uh, in in the OR, but the next day he is in his office draining assist, all the things that you do. Mm -hmm. But it is the most difficult task of recruiting to rule. So we know that that has existed for um, professionals such as, you know, physicians and specialty physicians. But now we're even challenged with mm-hmm. when they go to school, i.e. the nurse or whoever it is, they don't want to come back to rule yeah. and or we can't get them to come to rule. And so I guess with that in mind, Jeffrey, and, and we're coming to a close, we've had a, a great time together and we may have one more question, but um, is there anything particular that we, remember, healthcare in general is listening to this, what we as hospitals, as health systems can do uh, to break through the challenges and encourage more professionals to choose rural hospitals as their landing place? Yeah. I think there has to be a lot more dialogue, particularly from from folks, even from like myself and others that have served in rural facilities around what is what truly you're able to do. Because to your point, I often say you're allowed 
you know, yesterday I was speaking about the power of imagination and creativity, uh, particularly in, in, in healthcare. And that's a rural facility. Uh, you know, to mm-hmm. your point about we like to come up with terms. I can remember when we did urogynecology events, we would call it south of the border. Um, <laughs> and and in yeah. a larger system, would have never been able to do that because no, no. you know you, you can't do that. But no, but in a can't. rural you know facility, it's more down to earth on all levels. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It it's more authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think we have to do a really important aspect around, particularly in our schools, K through twelve, earlier when we talk about healthcare. Uh, and, I, and I will also say that anyone in the ecosystem of healthcare has to also be a part of this, because to your point, most of the United States is rural. So if we don't pay attention right. to this, most of our uh, fellow citizens and neighbors are going to really suffer. And right. during COVID, we saw that to your point. Um, you know, even with COVID, the impact to rural uh, America was actually greater than people realize when you look per mm-hmm. capita, because it's mm-hmm. larger amount of area. And mm-hmm. so We've got to do a lot more work at a federal government and a state government, but also in higher ed to really celebrate what rural health care truly is. And mm-hmm. I tell people it's the most special health care that you could receive. And I'll add, Agreed. oftentimes the quality is higher. Absolutely. It does. Cost, is lower. Cost is lower, quality is higher mm-hmm. and better outcomes. And you have a connection. And uh, those for all of those reasons, uh, mm-hmm. it is the right reason to get your care uh, locally. And so, you know, it's been great to spend this time with you. If if someone is listening today and they want to know how to contact you uh, and reach out to you, you do this on a national level, though, right? Um, and so you're working with Siena Heights, you work for Siena Heights, but, you know, you're obviously, you would promote this across the country, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. This is all about full ecosystem, but but obviously, you know, large focus in Michigan. Well, Jeffrey, here we are. We've come to the close of our podcast today. We could spend a lot of time talking about the relationship that colleges, community colleges, universities play in the role of raising up a generation of healthcare professionals. And so, unfortunately, you know, our time has come to a close, but I want to thank you for what you're doing to really draw an awareness uh, to the need for rural communities to have outreach to their schools, to their community schools, to private schools, whatever it is, K through 12, start at an early age, certainly know the importance of that, and then to work in partnership with colleges like Siena. So thank you so much for joining us today. It's been fascinating learning about this program, to learn about your role and your job. I want to thank you for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. Absolutely. And thanks for having me. It's been wonderful. Before we close, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. So we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? So you shared with us, you're from rural Pennsylvania, right? Mm-hmm. What was the population of the town you lived in? The population of my town was like 5,000. Yeah, that's like rural. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, so can you share with our listeners... Uh, what is one of your most memorable rural experiences that probably wouldn't or didn't happen in urban life? In the healthcare system or just in the no, community? In general. Anything, yeah. Anything. It can be healthcare related or yeah. not. So definitely uh, in the community, I would say, uh, you know, come to school as a farmer. Uh, that happened every year. Um, yeah. and, and people literally would drive their, you know, farm equipment. Uh, I didn't have farm equipment, but, but uh, it was really an interesting experience. 
Yeah. I would say in healthcare, um, you know, I, I'm sure both I'm sure both of you may remember at one point there was the pink glove dance. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, our health system won one of the awards. Uh, and there were a couple of reasons we won awards, one of which my my uh, CEO often said it was because of my dancing on rocks <laughs> that we had in our cancer center, oh, uh, nice. which was part of our healing environment. But we we did a whole routine and uh, we ended up taking that on the show. We had a pink fire truck that we drove oh, through wow. the town. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we ended up making it into a whole, uh, you know, dance, uh, you know, as part of uh, Taylor Swift's song. Oh, that's and, nice. Um, it, you know, CEO all the way to all levels of the system. Patients included, yeah. survivors were, were part of it. And, and again, you would only get that in a rural facility. That's right. That's what community is all about, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Jeffrey, thanks for joining us again today. We appreciate your time. Thank you again. Thank you both as well. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.